Thank you for pressing start on episode 23 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games, followed by a review of our featured game, Spiritfarer Farewell Edition. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bo Poe, and welcome to Season 3 of Underplayed. Joining me is my player 2, Disco Cola. What's going on, Disco Cola? Hey, not much, man. I've been on a long voyage away from the shore, but we're back here for season three. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. My fellow member of the upstairs crew. <laughs> ah, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Those are references to our featured game, Spiritfarer Farewell Edition, our first featured game of season three. And we're back from a several months long break between seasons two and three. How has your break been, Disco Cola? It's been fine. It's been busy. Uh, we've mentioned it, but I've still got two very young children and, uh, that's, that's a job in itself and my hours at work changed and yeah, everything's different. Uh, but I had a decent break. How, how about you? Uh, I'm also very busy, uh, started kind of a part-time job in addition to my full-time job, which takes up uh, quite a bit of time, including some of my gaming time in the evenings. So... Um, yeah. Still able to do this show for now, though, and was able to get to Spiritfarer well in advance, which I was really happy about. And Same. I think we both yeah. needed that good quality time with it because yeah. it's a longer one, right? Yeah. Um, and if you recall, uh, listeners who listened to our season two finale episode last season, uh, we were going to hopefully get to some other games outside of our underplayed games. And so we each kind of listed... I think a few titles that we were hoping to get to. I think I just had like one, essentially. I think yours yeah. was Digimon. <laughs> yeah. Was it? So have you been able to touch Digimon? I think I played Digimon maybe two more times uh, after that recording. So maybe a total of like four hours. Uh, but, you know, I was I was looking at the time that I had after my hours changed at work. And uh, I had to jump on Spirit Fair pretty much right away. I hear you on that one. Um, I listed... I was really ambitious. I listed like three or four, maybe five you had huge games. games too. They were huge, like third person action adventure games that have just been on the back burner for me. And when I talked about those games, I was in progress with Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. And I did finish that. That only took like another week's time because I was already so far into that one. So I finished that one. I moved on to. Cuphead, The Delicious Last Course, uh, which released over the summer of 2022. I finished that DLC, didn't get all the achievements slash trophies, but um, had a really great time with that one. And that one was well worth the wait. And then that's about it that I was able to accomplish, except just this past week. I don't know what struck me to do this, but... I wanted to get the platinum for Death Stranding Director's Cut. Whoa. And I did do that. And the only reason I was able to do it in such a short amount of time is that I already had the platinum for Death Stranding, the base game. And it has a a save transfer Mm -hmm. feature from the PS4 to PS5 version. If you have a save file with all those trophies, you can transfer that over. 
And it doesn't unlock every trophy because you have to do a little bit more delivering and collecting in that game. So I had to do like maybe six to 10 hours of work uh, to get the platinum there. But I, I knocked that out as well. So Now, Bopo, I did play one other game and I'm really excited to tell you about it. I played my season two Jealous game. I platinumed Omno. You did? I did. I played it about two and a half weeks ago. That's awesome. What were your thoughts on Omno? I mean, I loved it. Um, I, I, I remember, you know, most of your thoughts and I mirror all of them. I think that uh, there were a lot of comparisons to like a Spyro game. And I think those were um, accurate. I wish that there was a little bit more to collect. Um, there's just not enough, like the way that items are laid out in Spyro games sort of like lead your eye to where points of interest are. Yes. Some of the things in Omno are just a little bit too hard to find because as you get further and further into the game, the levels just get larger and larger. They do. So some of those are just a little bit difficult. Yeah. The game feels more comfortable making the world larger because it gives you so many more tools to navigate around the map quickly, like Mm -hmm. the teleport feature yeah. like just being able to just instantly travel to the other side of the map you need to do that if you're going to give me a map that's so large yeah. uh when you get to like the sand areas i'm thinking right um yeah i i remember struggling with some of those journals like where are the, where are those because yeah. the map feature doesn't, doesn't point show those out those. Yeah. it just points out the orbs uh-huh. that are around the map yeah. um which you need all that stuff to get the platinum so yeah. um i think i looked up one or two of those journals just to speed up the process. I don't think that I did, but man, I spent an, an extra like yeah. 15 minutes, you know, on some levels, just Long like time. looking for one extra cube. Long time. Um, and I loved all the traversal abilities. I wish that the dash, there's just like a little bit too much of a buildup right at the start of the dash. If it would have just been more of a straight into the dash kind of, it's, it's like fractions of a second, yeah. but it, I didn't end up using it as much as I expected to because of that. Yeah, they do give that one to you right away. Um, there's one you get at the very end of the game that lets you kind of float. Yeah. That one isn't used a ton, right. but it is there. Uh, I like that game a lot. I love the legendary creatures. I love all the environments. I think um, all the animals that you fill out for mm-hmm. your journal are cute. Ooh, speaking of, I accidentally finished the game before I could read all those animal journal entries. And so if I want to read about all those different animals, I have to, I have to go through the game again. You have to play again? Oh, yeah. no. Because, oh, like, it auto-saves right at the end cut scene. Oh, okay. So every time I load gotcha. it up now, it's just too late. So you collected everything as you went so that you could get the platinum. Yep. Uh, which is necessary. You can't backtrack and chapter select afterwards. And uh, the thing that made me back up my save, I mentioned this briefly in the review, there was a trophy for doing a miscellaneous task, not for collecting something, but for just for doing something in one of the levels. Mm-hmm. And I forgot to do that thing, or I didn't realize that was a trophy when I went through it. So I backed up my save to the PSN cloud, PS Plus cloud or whatever. Oh. I turned off like auto update cloud saves for <laughs> just for Omno. Uh, I went to chapter select. There is a chapter select, but it wipes your progress, I should say. Yeah. Went back to chapter select, went to the chapter where I missed that miscellaneous task, did that so that I could get the trophy uh, because that miscellaneous task isn't tied into like collecting all the items in the game trophy. So then 
I reloaded the save I uploaded to the cloud, and then I just continued on. Yeah. So in technically in that save, I hadn't done that miscellaneous task, but it's not saved in the game data at all. It's just yeah. tied to the metadata involved with trophies. So. Yeah, I missed one too, uh, but I just I was only in the second chapter, so I just started over. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Well, I'm glad you got to play Omno. That is super cool. I also uh, wanted to bring up some goals you and I have thought up uh, behind the scenes about our show, and they're about large and small things. You and I were talking about how some of these might be cool for the listeners to know about because some of it does involve how we get the audience involved, how we get uh, feedback and recognition in in a number of ways. So uh, do you want to talk about some of the goals you and I have set for Underplayed? Yeah. Um so we want to do we want to do a little bit more auxiliary content uh in addition to episodes. One of the main ideas we've had is doing cooperative games, more cooperative games like we did for episode 1, but just making it it's a separate thing. That's just an idea for now. Um that's something we want to do. Uh one of the goals that I recommended was uh getting 50 followers on Twitch if not becoming affiliated on Twitch. Um and we use our Twitch to basically premiere episodes like the same time they're dropping on on other podcast platforms. Um but that's just a way for us to like interact while that that premiere is happening. And you can do that. I'm always, you know, in the chat room when those are happening. Um but uh that's one of the goals that we had. What about you, Bopo? What are some of the ones that you want to um, mention? Um, we do publish all of our podcast episodes on Anchor. So just getting an estimated audience of 30 on Anchor um, would be awesome. We've gotten really close to that. Yeah, I think uh, the highest weeks. I've seen is like 21 within that you know time frame. Yeah, I think it's one or two weeks that it measures yeah. out. So then every new week that comes up, it will uh, reset – the number a little bit, but we've gotten really close to that one. Um, getting enough Spotify ratings to display our average rating is uh, one that I think would be really cool. And then again, this is just rating five stars on Spotify. And if enough people give us any rating, it will show the average rating uh, just to give a little bit more recognition there. So, so on if some you of haven't the, done that yet. Yeah. <laughs> please uh, rate us on Spotify. Five stars uh, would be awesome. And just to get an idea of how this uh, system works, you can go to one of your favorite popular podcasts and on Spotify, it will probably show a number next to the star rating and that's how many people have given an average review. So you can get an idea of how many it takes. I think it's maybe 50 to 100 or something like that. Uh, it's kind of mysterious, but that would be fun to uh, get that displaying. And with that introduction out of the way, we can move on to our secret games. Secret games. Secret games. I know you're playing without me. Secret games. Well, I'm here to tell you, baby. Secret games. I've been playing too. Secret games. In secret games, we're going to each review an indie game we've been playing in secret since our last episode, uh, which was a while ago. It's been a few months. And uh, we don't discuss our picks in advance. We keep them a surprise for this very moment. We're recording. Each of us can choose an indie game as long as it has not been covered on Underplayed before. And we will start with you, Disco Cola. Let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game for episode 23 of Underplayed. Well, perhaps not a surprise for you or the audience. My secret game is 
Water. I'm gonna believe you. I'm gonna believe you. <laughs> Is it actually Watson? It's not Watson. Oh no. Ugh. Someday. Someday. Okay. My secret game is a little indie called Mutazione. And this is uh it's it's pronounced via the Italian word for mutation. It's called Mutazione. And I have sent you a trailer. I have seen this game title and I've never known how to pronounce it. There's just there they had a whole tweeted video about it. Nice. So uh I'll let you watch that trailer. Mutazione kind of bills itself as a mutant soap opera. And I, I guess it kind of fills that description. Uh, I wouldn't have called it that. I would have called it just like a, a adventure, you know, game. But uh, I suppose if this is a soap opera, I might consider games like Night in the Woods a soap opera as well. And uh, this this game actually would have paired really well with Night in the Woods. Um in this game, you play as Kai, a high school age girl, and Kai is visiting uh, a village called Mutazione because one of the residents reached out to her and her mother, Gaia, to inform them that her grandfather seems to be dying. And so she goes to visit Mutazione to meet her grandfather for the first time. Gaia, however, does not go with her. Once there, you meet all the various villagers and learn about the history and the flora of Mutazione. Uh, and you saw a little bit of that in the trailer. There's a lot of plant interaction. Um, now, this world at large is a bit of a special place because in this universe, the Earth was struck by a meteor maybe a hundred years ago, not quite. Um, and as a result, many of the remaining population, at least in, in this area of the world where Mutazione is, uh, have experienced some extreme mutations. The nature of the mutations don't really play a notable role in the majority of the game. They are relevant to some of the history um, of Mutazione. Uh, throughout most of the game, you learn about Flora from your grandfather, who is essentially the village's spiritual guide slash shaman slash healer of sorts. You know the, you know the character type. Um, and he begins to pass this knowledge on to you in the form of gardening. Uh, and this is the part of the game that I knew about ahead of time. Like I said, it was in the trailer. When you buy it from I Am 8-Bit, where I got it, uh, you you get a little seed packet uh, in the mail with it. Um, and it is kind of why I bought it and why I chose it to synergize with Spirit Fair. However, gardening doesn't really work the same way in this game, so that synergy is not very strong in the end um but there is synergy elsewhere i would say more than anything this game is about relationships and so i think that is where the strong synergy is um this game takes place over the course of a week and each individual day is split up into six times you have morning midday afternoon evening night and late night and each villager is in a predetermined spot at each of those times of day so the point of the game essentially becomes to watch the lives of your fellow villagers and uh, how they relate to each other. Um, during this time, you're free to explore the village, collect seeds from the plants that are already growing, uh, and interact with certain background items in the environment. Um, there's a lot to explore with these villagers if you choose to seek out uh, each location during the different parts of the day. 
Um, however, you can choose to beeline it to your main objectives, and those are sort of laid out in your diary slash journal. And there shouldn't be too much worry about accidentally advancing the story early because they were very careful to make your interaction icon change if you are about to interact with something that passes the time of day. Um, so you are it's, it's very obvious when you're about to change the time of day. Um, in my opinion, it's worth it to explore whenever you get the chance. Uh, this will extend the length of your game by like, maybe three or four times, uh, to be honest. Um, but you really get to connect with everyone. And the the bonus here is that I actually like everyone. It's very similar to Night in the Woods where I felt compelled to talk to everyone at every chance that I got. Um, but I don't have to talk with someone who's really obnoxious like Gregory or uh, maybe lives in a little bit of a bubble like May. Um Everyone's vulnerabilities and personalities are just like way more down to earth. Um, the downside, however, uh, compared to Night in the Woods, uh, is that traveling in this game doesn't feel anywhere near as good. Night in the Woods gives you that platforming, and you even get that little like triple hop that you get to perform if you're if you're on a long walk. Uh, whereas Mutazione's walking speed is just kind of like a brisk jog. Um, and, and nowhere near as fun to actually do. Um, I don't want to fail to mention the art style. It's a combination of like two games we've talked about previously, and that's Forma 8 and Kentucky Route Zero. Um, it uses a simple color palette and is light on details like both of those games. Um, and like Forma 8, it can occasionally sort of resemble that construction paper look. Um, and I kind of love that. So really loved the art style. Um, one of my favorite things about Mutazione actually ended up being the sound design, though. Uh, all of the sound effects are really satisfying. Entering and exiting menus sounds great. Finishing conversations is amazing. Even collecting seeds has a very distinctive sound. Um, but more importantly, the music pairs really well with the atmosphere and the art of the game, and it creates this, like, tangible is the only word I can use to describe it. Everything feels so tangible. I would often like find myself immersed in the village of Mutazione, which I, I don't often get super immersed in a lot of games um, like this. So I just, I want to point out the sound design, even just like passive traveling music kind of reminded me of this anime Fooly Cooly. I don't know if you ever saw that one, but um, it, You've it, recommended that one. To yeah, me. it reminded me of their passive interlude scenes, and Fooly Cooly's music is iconic. So um, that to compare it to something like that is meant to be high praise. Um, and I'm really excited to put Mutazione's soundtrack in, in my regular rotation. So um, clearly, I'm pretty positive on this game overall, but there are a couple things I don't like about it. Uh, one of them, and this matters to the both of us in particular, uh, is the trophy list. There's no platinum, uh, which doesn't bother me, but I know that's a that's a thing for you. I think it's justified, personally, given the length of the game. Um, some of the trophy descriptions are sort of unnecessarily vague. There's mm. like one in particular that requires you to interact with an abandoned bike three times. But the trophy's name is called N plus one, and the trophy description is, quote, the Velominati speaks. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that there's probably an inside joke or meaning to yeah. the developers Couldn't on that tell one. tell but what's the point of having the trophy if I have to go look it up? Right. So you end up looking up some of those things, right? I had to look up that one for sure. Sure. Uh, and this leads me to another criticism because this bike is on the far edge of the map. Oh, no. Uh, and so my other criticism is that this map, it's not huge, but it's too big to be asking me to explore the furthest edge at every point of the day just so I can read every item description. <laughs> um you know, all these item interactions only become accessible at particular points in the day. So to anyone else that's a trophy hunter and still interested in Mutazione, I'm going to tell you how to get this bike trophy right here and now. Whoa. So spoilers, skip ahead like three minutes maybe if you don't want me to tell you, but I'm going to tell you right trophy now. Trophy guide. Trophy guide. Our first trophy guide <laughs> to play. Do it. Uh, in the chapter where you go for a swim with Miu, you need to interact with the bike right before you go into the swimming hole and then immediately again right after the swim. And then you don't get to interact with it again until chapter five. So this is a missable? This is a, oh yeah, super missable. missable. You only get three chances to interact with it at very specific points in the game. Uh, And so you have to do all three. I had to play the game a second time for this one. Oh no. Yeah, there's another one that's uh, for eating five meals. And you actually only get five chances to eat meals. And so you have to plan that and the other meal eating related trophies okay. accordingly. So maybe look those up first. It's not going to ruin the game for you. Uh, that kind of leads to another criticism. Um, some of the, yeah, like, so, like I said, some of the environmental interactions are out of the way. And a majority of them don't actually add much to the game. Not, not all. Some of them actually add, you know, a little bit to the history of the planet and its relation to the meteor. Um, But it's pretty much impossible to know before interacting with them which ones will be worth the travel time. And then the last thing, and this one was kind of a big bummer, actually, is that the actual act of gardening kind of becomes inconsequential in a way. Mm. Um, It really just came down to planting four or five plants with the same mood in a garden so you won't really hear me ask for this often but i wish that the actual gardening part was a little bit more time consuming or a little bit difficult um in a way the gardening was kind of the main reason i bought the game too so that was a bit of a bummer um there is a gardening like game version outside of the game where i think some of the traits are more like what i'm looking for um but the game didn't really like give me a reason to want to do that other than you wanted gardening to be harder. Here it is, but I've already completed the trophies. I already know the story. So I don't really feel compelled to go back and do just the gardening section outside of the game. Um, so I know that I, I threw out a lot of notable disappointments there, uh, particularly with gardening, but I still really loved this game. Um, I was very, uh, enraptured by the characters and the environment. Uh, so I'm still overall very, very, very positive on Mutazione. I want to give it an 8.5 out of 10. All right. An 8.5, very positive score from Disco Cola. I wrote down games, uh, before you mentioned them in your review that this was reminding me of right away. So I wrote down Kentucky Rod Zero. I wrote down Night in the Woods. Uh, I wrote down Spiritfarer, obviously, because you picked this as for synergy. 
Um, then I also wrote down Donut County. A oh bit. yeah, yeah, um, very, very, very similar art of, style. Some there. of the art style, yeah, yeah, mostly art style on that one. Um, the time mechanic you talked about, the times of day, that reminds me of Spirit Fair too. I don't know if Spirit Fair has quite as many as six, but it has maybe four or five different times of day um, to do. And you know, I don't know if they're going to affect a whole lot other than whether you can travel at night versus at day uh, mm-hmm. during the day. But um, that is interesting that, you know, it depending on where you are in the day causes you to look at things a little bit differently. Um, I was looking at the part of the trailer that has the gardening and I saw all these seeds that you can plant and you have this garden um, about how much percentage wise of the game would you say is the gardening? Very, very, very little. Um, yeah. You have to you have to do it to progress certain story points, um, but it's just sort of something that you can just shove some stuff in the ground and call it a day. Essentially, yeah. as long as you fill these plots with stuff, yeah, then you're good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was a bit of a bummer. Now, I maybe I'll explore the gardening mode because in addition to just being gardening, each plant produces like ambient music sounds and so in addition to creating a colorful and beautiful garden you're sort of like composing music in a way so if that really appeals to you um definitely check out the gardening mode uh but i don't know it sounds cool but it wasn't enough to get me motivated to do it quite yet maybe i'll explore that in the future cool well Mutazione is a game that I've seen the name of. I've if you showed me just the gameplay and didn't tell me what name of the game it was, I wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah. I guess I, I guess I just never looked into it. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you picked this and it has a lot of the iconography of Spirit Fair. So I think this has great synergy. Uh so I played Mutazione with the IM eight bit version on PS4. It is also available on Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, Mac OS, iOS. Windows, and yeah, that's it. Uh, I will move on to my secret game now. My secret game is one that I bet you have heard of, Disco Cola. Uh, it came out in 2020, and it's called Raji, an Ancient Epic. So yeah, I actually I have heard of this. I remember when the trailer first dropped, that I was very interested in it. Yeah, I think it was first revealed at some kind of a summer showcase, maybe a Nintendo showcase. Right. Um, I just sent you the Switch trailer, so you can watch that while I talk. So, Raji and Ancient Epic is a 2020 action-adventure game developed by Nodding Heads Games and published by SuperGG.com. The game synopsis from the Steam storefront reads, quote, Raji, an ancient epic, is an action-adventure game set in ancient India. A young girl named Raji has been chosen by the gods to stand against the demonic invasion of the human realm. Her destiny? To rescue her younger brother and face the demon lord Mahabalasura. End quote. In this game, the story is based on Indian and Hindu mythology, which I can safely say uh, hasn't been explored in any other game we've played uh, up to this point. The game opens with this cinematic that talks about Golu and Raji, who are brother and sister, and they're attending this carnival, and they're both performers. So Golu is a gifted storyteller, and Raji does acrobatics and tumbling for the crowd, and it's not long before demons attack the carnival. They abduct Golu, and then you play as Raji, uh, and you're getting him back. You're trying to get him back from the demon lord, Mahabalasura. 
While you're in this experience, uh, Raji isn't completely alone because the goddess Durga and Lord Vishnu provide commentary throughout. They're sort of narrating the journey as Raji is going through these different environments. And the gameplay is this uh, third-person action style played similarly to the OG God of War games. With the camera really pulled back, your character model is pretty small. You're in these large environments battling demons. It's very much that. The environments are sprawling. Uh, Raji is often dwarfed by everything being so large around her. And you use various weapons. You're immediately given this trident called the Trishula. And you use that for the first level or so. You soon get a bow. So you can do ranged attacks. You get a sword and shield. Uh, You also get another weapon near the end of the game that I won't spoil, but it's awesome. And you imbue yourself with energies uh, as well to give yourself different elemental attacks. There are three options for these elements. So Durga gives you the power of lightning, Vishnu gives you fire attacks, and you can unleash ice with uh, the goddess Shiva as well. And you upgrade all of these passive abilities and attacks using these collectibles called favor orbs that you find in the environment. There will be times where favor orbs are just right there in the main path and you pick them up. Other times you have to go out of your way to explore just a little bit to find those favor orbs. And the gameplay is this loop of exploring, climbing and jumping, uh, solving very light puzzles, and then encountering these combat spots where demons spawn. And then you fight all those within this confined space. Once you defeat all of them, you're free to move on. You fight many flavors of demons that all use a variety of attacks. Uh, Some of them smash the ground and uh, try to send like fissures through the ground that that hurl towards you. Uh, Some of them fly at you. Uh, Some of them just are standard melee enemies. Um, Some of them are explosive and try to run at you to cause explosive damage as well. So there's a good variety there. And fighting with Raji consists of picking that, picking your weapon, picking your elements, and then doing a couple different kinds of attacks with each weapon. You can roll to evade attacks, and you can also do a roll attack, where if you follow a roll up with an attack, you do a different kind of maneuver. You can also collect these yellow orbs. Uh, that let you unleash special attacks that sometimes grab a couple enemies within its path and do lots of damage. Um, There are several different stages, and they each have distinct art styles as well. And these usually end with a boss encounter. Um, Some of the stages are uh, Fortress, uh, Golden City, and Mystical Lands. And also in these stages, you can encounter these murals where you can stop and listen to a very short story about uh, Hindu lore, most often about a god or a goddess and like what they mean in the mythology of Hinduism. So um, it's kind of educational in that way. So with Raji, I think this game is often very beautiful. The scenery is very lush. Environments are full of wonder. A lot of this game's budget was invested into the artwork, and it really shows. And I often stopped to kind of look around at the environments, and I took screenshots in this game. So this game's beautiful. Uh, And that extends to the character designs, too. The enemies are striking. There's this enemy called Naga the Snake, and I won't talk about— You saw him in the trailer. You saw him in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah, so it's the big snake. Naga the Snake is really memorable for me. Um, And Raji herself is 
acrobatic and fun to watch on screen, especially when she's tumbling around. I also like that they give her the you know, backstory of like being a tumbler and acrobat gives her the excuse to have all these mm-hmm. maneuvers in combat. And uh, the game is a very accessible way to learn about Hinduism and all of this mythology, which I knew close to nothing about before. And this is a similar praise to what I said about 1979 Revolution Black Friday, where that game gave me a really great excuse to learn about the Iranian Revolution, which I never learned about that much in school. It just was not covered. And so I like that this interactive experience is giving me that information, that storytelling that I've never gotten in any form of media before. Um, The voice acting is effective, Durga and Vishnu especially. Uh, So when these two are narrating about Raji's journey, they're actually kind of at odds about their belief in her and her mission. Um, Durga kind of believes in her and Vishnu is skeptical about her. So you get to hear them uh, argue and bicker a bit about whether you'll succeed. So that's fun and unexpected. Um, And then also the cutscenes in this game are beautiful. And they're done in a style that is not often used, but it makes sense for this kind of game. And it's that silhouette animation technique. Um, There is a very, very old animated film. It is almost 100 years old, and it's called The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. And it's very much that. Uh, It kind of looks like puppetry mixed with silhouettes and stop motion. It is very cool. I always liked looking at the cutscenes in this game. Now, with my dislikes with Raji, I think my biggest complaint with this is that the combat can just kind of be a mess of things going on without elegance a lot of times. You can get into these situations where you're one-on-one with an enemy, and you could dash around the enemy and find open spots to hit them. Or if it's a certain kind of weapon and a certain kind of enemy, you can just kind of whack on the enemy and stun them. Mm and keep whacking on them until they die. And so there's not really anything nuanced about that. But on the other side of things, if you're in an encounter with two or three or four enemies, you can actually be the one who gets stun-locked, where uh, enemy one hits you, then they take a little time to recharge, and in that time, enemy two hits you, and then enemy three hits you, and you don't get to escape because you're stunned. So you can cheese enemies, but enemies can cheese you. And I'm not sure I'm a fan of that. (laughs) Um, The favor orb menu is also kind of clumsy. And I think it has to do with the layout. I think just simple UI improvements could fix this. You basically have in this pause menu, you have three different wheels and they're all on one screen. So the inner wheel selects what your weapon is. The second middle wheel selects which god or element Uh, you want to go with. And then the outer wheel selects which of the abilities within that element you want to upgrade. Mm -hmm. And the act of navigating all of those is vague and kind of clumsy. And I never pressed the right button. It was always like trial and error to get what I wanted. I just wish it was laid out in kind of a uh, tree fashion or a tab fashion where you're tabbing over to different pages maybe. Yeah, Um, I think if if I may real quick, I think there's like a a motif in like just that culture in general with wheels. I think wheels is a common like mythological feature. Yes, and I'm so sorry I forget the name of them, but there are optional 
illustrations that are laid out in circles and you just rotate the circles until you make the picture appear. Um, It's kind of like a scrambled picture. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I wish I had written that down, but there are lots of those in the game, but I found that those were really artful and I liked when those were actually like on the ground in the environment and I could make a a picture. And sometimes there was even like narration to go along with those. Um, And similar to your game, Mutazione, the trophies in this game are bad. Uh, Darn it. (laughs) There are 21 bronze trophies. They're all bronze, so it's even worse. come on, man. Uh, Not even like any silver or gold. And I think both of our games uh, are justified in having a platinum because they are multiple hours long. They have stories. You do a lot of miscellaneous tasks. And from what I've heard from insiders in the achievement and trophy industry is that if you're a developer, you basically can argue, at least with PlayStation, to have a platinum trophy. If you ask enough times, they'll give your game a platinum (laughs) trophy, I've heard. And so at this point, I just feel like there's no excuse uh, to not have a platinum trophy uh, because you see all of these cheap garbage games getting platinum trophies that take 30 seconds to achieve. So I just don't understand why this game doesn't have, one, the nuance of silver and gold, but also just a platinum trophy uh, in the first place. Um, I'll also say that this game got an update in 2022, and the update makes the final boss ridiculously cheap uh, in a in a hard way. Mm. Like the the boss can just ruin you. And it's very unfair, even if you're playing on easy. I played this whole game on easy and the final boss is just not tuned in the most current version of this game as of this recording. So I hope they fix that because I expected to spend 10 minutes on the final boss. It took about 45 minutes to beat him. And I I almost gave up actually. Yeah. So that was just a weird difficulty spike that didn't need to happen. And I think it's because of an oversight from what I've read online, uh, previous versions of the game were tuned just right. So, um, but I will say overall, Raji and Ancient Epic is worth playing for its art and its beauty and its representation of a mythology that we don't really get to see in a lot of other games. Um, It feels a bit unpolished. But for a first effort, it does do the job it sets out to do, I feel. So I'm going to rate this on the lower end of good by giving it a 6 out of 10. And it's playable on PC, Switch, PS4, which is how I played it, and Xbox One. All right, a 6, a little bit lower than I was hoping to hear. But yeah, I I was very excited about this game when I first saw the trailer, Um, you know, a lot of that had to do with the fact that I really am very ignorant on a lot of Indian and, and Hindu culture and myth and lore. And so I was really excited to to get into that because I'm familiar with like the visual representation of the culture and how beautiful that is. But that's about the extent of it. Um, and so I, I really wanted to learn more. Uh, I had a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you about some of the stuff that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about favor orbs. Uh, you know, you know, I'm a big collectathon kind of guy. Are there enough favor orbs in the game to max out everything that you need favor orbs for? Um, there aren't enough favor orbs to put an upgrade point into every single ability under all three elemental powers, but there are enough to max out two of the elemental powers and then put a good like three or four points into the other elemental Uh, power. And you really don't 
you really don't need to max them all out because how it works is you're not using electricity uh, one moment and then just immediately deciding to use fire. You have to go into that pause menu and switch to the god that you want. And now you only use that god's powers until you choose to switch again in that favor orb menu. So yeah, classic Mega Man rules. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you're <laughs> used to that. Um, so I think that that selection for a modern game like this, um, for a game that is trying to do God of War and not quite doing it all the way, it doesn't really feel so fast to change all that stuff. So I'm not bothered with the fact that I can't uh, put all my points into electricity when I already have all my points in ice and fire. And the other thing is, if you want to max out electricity and you've already spent your points elsewhere, you can just take points away. The points aren't locked in. You can oh, change them at any time. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, that's that's better. It does still bother me that I can't max out everything. How much do you feel like you learned about about Hindu mythology? Is there is there room for more? Would you play another game, a sequel that has more of this? Yeah, I think I did learn quite a lot. I think it was again, anything at this point is educational for me because I just have not had the interaction with mm -hmm. this mythology before. So, I mean, just on that baseline, it is educational for me. And they do leave the door open to a sequel because the ending feels a bit unfinished. So I feel invested at this point where I would play a sequel, even though I didn't give it the highest positive review. I'm still positive on this game overall. And uh, I look forward to uh, Raji and Ancient Epic 2 or Raji uh, something else epic. Uh, <laughs> I would play that for sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, how long to beat has this at like five, a little over five hours and... This has a good chance to be my jealous game, mainly because I always wanted to play it. But yeah. uh, it's this is pretty much how I expected you to feel about it. Yeah, so. <laughs> I had a I had an expectation that you knew about it. And again, while I'm not rating it the highest, I think this is a very important game, and it's an important game to a lot of people. I looked up videos about this game after I played it. I saw many dozens of comments on various videos from people who are Hindus or people who have Indian heritage, and they were just uh, overflowing with positive vibes mm -hmm. about this game. They love that it was a representation of their religion and culture. They love that they got to learn something in a way that they hadn't through their uh, normal means about their heritage. So it really is an important game. And um, it was a costly endeavor for the developers as well. I read from somebody that they went bankrupt selling their homes to raise more oh, funds no. because their budget was so low. And a lot of that budget went into the art style and the presentation of well, the game. Well, I mean, and it, it, shows. it really shows. And I, I hope that they were able to recoup that. And I I still plan to help them recoup that at some point. So. Yes, I think they're very worthy of supporting, for sure, because of what this game is doing and representing. Those are our secret games, Mutazione and Raji and Ancient Epic. Let's move on to our review of Spiritfarer Farewell Edition. It is our featured game. So Spiritfarer Farewell Edition is a 2020 base building and exploration game. It was developed and published by Thunder Lotus Games. 
The game synopsis from the Steam storefront reads, quote, Spiritfarer is a cozy management game about dying. As ferry master to the deceased, build a boat to explore the world, care for your spirit friends, and release them into the afterlife. The Spiritfarer Farewell Edition includes the heartwarming base game and three major content updates, end quote. So I think that's a pretty apt description. Yeah. The game is inspired by Greek mythology quite a bit, uh, just because you get those characters of Karen and Hades in your game. Um, and there's some other nods here and there as well. Uh, you play as Stella, who is always joined by her cat, Daffodil. And the game opens with Stella taking on the role of Spiritfarer from Karen, who is moving on. And Karen gives Stella a magical power called the Everlight, which allows Stella to summon tools and access the Everdoor, where spirits go on to the afterlife. And as the new Spiritfarer, your job is basically to sail around the game in a ship, find spirits who are looking for help fulfilling requests, and sail them to the Everdoor to move on to the afterlife. Uh, you come into contact with Hades eventually who reminds Stella of her past life. And all these parallels start to be drawn about what she's doing now versus what she did in the real world. I won't say any more about that, but more is revealed throughout the experience. Um, all the spirits that you encounter have personalities. They come from different places. Not all islands you visit even have spirits. They're spread out all over the place. And they have backstories to uncover. They have certain likes and dislikes. And this is where gift giving and feeding them comes into play. Um, on your ship, you can build a number of buildings that allow you to house the spirits. You can grow and cook food. You can process raw materials to build new structures. Uh, your spirits usually have quest lines requiring you to visit other islands, uh, collect materials, build upgrades for their houses. And then eventually, when you do enough for them, you fulfill your their requests, uh, they're ready to be taken to the Everdoor. And you talk to your spirits quite often. Um, this takes the form of text bubbles that play out both on your boat and in various islands that you visit. And spirits also have certain events they facilitate in the game world where you can obtain special ingredients for recipes, there's a firefly event that gives you fire glow seeds, for instance. There are meteor showers that give you comet rocks. You can encounter dragons that give you quartz and aluminum and silver. And uh, your ship can be upgraded. You can visit a shark named Albert who will upgrade your ship with uh, the right materials uh, and in exchange for listening to a dad joke or two. Uh, you can increase your boat speed. Uh, unlock improvements to access new areas and make your boat bigger to fit more buildings. You can also use the currency of glims to buy items from various merchants in the world, including food, seeds, raw materials, and key items. I will note what is included in the farewell edition above the base game. Those three major DLC updates are called the Lily update, the Beverly update, and the Jackie and Daria update. And mostly they add new spirits. I know the Jackie and Daria update was probably the biggest update because it added improvements, um, UI features and enhancements, um, a new island or two. So that one's a little bit more substantial. Disco Cola, this game is massive. How long to beat has it at many dozens of hours to uh, complete. I was curious if you think 
I missed something that's noteworthy here at the start. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, you covered a lot there. That was a lot of words. Uh, I promise, listener, uh, that everything becomes straightforward. The game teaches you how to play the game. So if that sounded really overwhelming to you, uh, worry not. It, it feeds it to you in bite sizes. So it, it definitely does. It definitely does. I think there is a justified reason why this game is so long. It's that it has so many ideas and it does give them to you in a, in a nice steady fashion. So Disco Cola, um, I have an idea about what you probably thought of this game. I want to know what did you think of Spirit Fair Farewell oh, Edition? Okay. Well, let's talk about Spirit Fair. Um, I'll spoil it for you right now. I really like this game. I think this game's great. Um, I think the resource management part of the game is mostly pretty enjoyable. Um, however, especially early in the game, there's just never enough time in the day. You know, you start growing food, you need to cut logs into timber, and just there's not enough time in the day to do all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, I think the scarcity curve is actually really satisfying. There's like an amount of time you spend without easy access to a lot of materials. And that really makes you appreciate the value of a lot of items, even after they start to become a little bit more plentiful. Um, hugging. Hugging rules. <laughs> I love that we can hug all of our friends and it makes most of them happier. Um, we can even hug daffodil with at any point in the game. And that's, that's awesome. There are a couple things though, that I don't love still overall positive, mind you. Um, I think the game hit a pretty decent slow stretch about three fifths of the way through the game. Um, not only because of all the literal traveling I had to do for side quests and stuff, uh, but because some of the like Mid-game passengers are definitely not the early game passengers, is how I'll put that. That's a great way to put it. I know what you mean immediately. Yeah. Um, not all mini games are created equally either. Uh, I like a lot of them, but I really dread doing the dragons. I knew you were going to say that. I don't like doing the dragons. Yeah. I love platformers. That platforming is not very fun. Yeah. Um, and the quasars are like way more frustrating than I think they need to be. Like they're not. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it just doesn't need to be that hard. Yeah. Um, arriving at a bus stop right before it gets too dark to sail is the worst. It's <laughs> and it's the just worst. sitting there. Yeah. And you can't, you see like the edge of it. Well, even, you can't if, even, use even it. if you can interact with it, it's just like, okay, you interact with it and you use the bus stop, but right. then you can't go anywhere. And so you're stuck yeah. overnight listening to Alex's music. Yes. And you have the option to turn it off. And I did that once. And I was like, okay, I'm going to turn it off because I still have a lot of work to do right now. And this music is so much. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I promise I'll turn it back on when it's time to go. And when I turned it back on, he just, Alex, he just, he goes after you. He yeah. just makes sure, he he is sure that you feel bad. <laughs> he doesn't let you live it down. Um, and like, thankfully, this was somewhat remedied with, I believe it was the Lily update, which once you get late enough in the game, you can travel at all hours of yes. the day. And how that worked uh, without the explanation in the game, because I don't think there really is one, or at least I missed it. Yeah, I think it was, you just get to do it. It was just mysterious to me as far as why I was suddenly able to 
travel overnight. I thought it was a glitch or oh. something. Um, but it, it is actually part of the update. You would just have to get there and it takes yeah. maybe like 20 hours yeah. <laughs> before you're able to do that. I think I think maybe the shark maybe tells you or you get a letter yeah. in the mail or something that says you sure. can travel at night now. I but remember could, seeing it on could, the screen. You can miss it though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also really hate mining in general. So when you like take how much I already hate the dragons and that their whole thing is mining, yeah, uh, it's not a good combination. But like most of the mining is in these like dark areas, and like dark areas are my least favorite game trope too. So it's just all of the right. things. Timing of the mining is yeah, hard. I just don't like it. It's not fun when you miss that window. I know. When you need to let go of the button. Because that recharge is just so long. I know. It's so long. And we're talking like a second. Yeah. It feels (laughs) like an eternity. It is. Um, When you're doing it several hundred times. Yeah, I know. It adds up. It's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It's fine. I just hate it. Certain UI elements I found not immediately clear, um, namely on the map. Uh, it, It took me a bit to understand whether something grayed out on a location's like item listings meant that I had or hadn't collected something. Um, and in addition to collectibles at locations, I hate that so many chests are hidden in the mines. I hate dark areas. I hate them. Right. And there's like hidden walls in there too. Yes. Um, Lots of those. Oh, and, and here's another thing. Uh, close, close quarters, uh, like in those tight confined spaces, are really bad for the double jump. Because you can't double jump when you're already up against a wall. This is the only game I've ever played with a double jump that does this. But if you're up against the wall, you can only do one jump. jump. Oh, I never noticed that. Yeah, I noticed it a lot. Interesting. (laughs) Um, and, And here's something I can't confirm across all platforms, but one of the things that I ran into that was really distracting the first couple times I encountered it was that there's some pretty significant graphical glitching on the ps4 version uh when you go to the everdoor um so you're in this moment where you're releasing your friend into the afterlife and they you know depending on who it is shared their you know final words with you and then all of a sudden there's this tree that glitches in and out of the reflection in the water and it's very it can be very distracting and yeah. it took me out of that moment a couple times. Yeah, that happened to me too. And it happened like, I think every time I brought a spirit to the other door and you're doing that around a dozen times yeah. in the game. So it becomes noticeable. And it's when, for me, it was when the camera pulls back and you see the them start to float up. Is yeah. that when it was happening for you? I, I think I had it most of the point where you can actually see the entrance, but yeah, it, yeah. essentially like- that's yeah. when it becomes really noticeable. Yeah, I played the PS4 version as well. Yeah, um, and I saw one other player of the PS4 version. So I don't know if other versions of the game have this issue, but okay. um, PS4 version might need a little one more update, one more patch. Um, and then the last thing I really want to mention is that um, something that I was told a good number of times is that I would cry so much during this game. And while I did a few times, it wasn't as much as I had hoped. Um, I think I found that many passengers were still like holding back at the end, maybe not sharing as much of their, you know, what I would consider to be the most vulnerable final thoughts at the end. But uh, yeah, I agree. I I think some intentions felt a little uh, cloudy. Yeah. But, you know, but yeah, ones ones that did hit me, uh, Summer, Stanley, 
Uh, and surprisingly, Jackie. Jackie was one that really uh, oh. touched me a little bit. So, Is Jackie the bat? He's the hyena. Oh, the Daria hyena. Is the bat. Daria is the bat. Gotcha. Yep, yep. yep. Gotcha. Um, overall, I had an awesome time with the game. My in-game clock was actually about 58 hours before I got Wowzers, 100%, which is a lot for something like for someone like me. Gotcha. Um, I only really felt that time slogging between like hours 30 and 48, mm-hmm. which is still a lot of my game time. Um, but I loved planning my tasks while I wasn't actually playing the game and stopping for two or three in-game days to to cook and garden uh, because I, I at one point I did run out of food for all of my passengers because <laughs> I wasn't focusing on that. Um, even though I've done everything in the game, I still like farming the resources for fun. Uh, unlike some games like, and I'm sorry, Bopo, uh, unlike some games like Animal Crossing, it feels like I'm grinding for something more substantial than just kind of grinding out daily chores. Yep. Um, I hit a slump just over halfway through the game where I was low on food. Like I said, I needed to, to feed my passengers, uh, that I, you know, especially ones I didn't care about as much. It was easy to ignore them. Um, the emotional magnitude didn't land the way I initially hoped when I purchased the game, but still connected with a good number of the characters. I had a great time. I listened to the music by Max LL a lot still. Um, even when I'm around the house whistling that that uh, Everdoor theme, mm. my wife knows what I'm whistling. She's like, oh, I know that one, and she'll start singing it too. Um, so overall, I had an incredibly positive experience uh, despite things that I didn't like. I will still think about Spirit Fair for a good time to come. I want to give it a nine out of ten. Wonderful. I'm glad you loved it. I'm glad you have such a positive score um, and feelings on it. I think a lot of my feelings uh, will echo what you've said. You did point out some things that I didn't write down in notes, but I did very much think about when I was playing. So I I back up a lot of what you said. Um, I think Spirit Fairer. Farewell Edition is like Stardew Valley meets Animal Crossing meets Wind Waker and throw in a pinch of Hades and Death Store in there <laughs> and I am here for it. This game is amazing. I love the groove of multitasking in these kinds of management games where it's a little bit lower stakes. Yeah. Um, that is inherently very fun for me. And when I'm playing Spiritfarer, I'm constantly thinking about how to optimize my time. And when I feel like I've optimized my time really well, it makes me feel satisfied. Right? Uh, so great. When I'm sailing around, I'm always thinking, okay, so I have to go to this island to get this resource. But on the way, there's a quartz dragon. So I better take a pit stop there so I can get some quartz because I need that for this upgrade. Then I go to the island and I go, oh, yeah, there are berries here. I need to pick those for this person because they like this. And, uh, oh, while I'm sailing, I should turn some uh, logs into timber. I better do that. And, oh, now we're in a meteor shower. I need to get some comet rocks. Let me do that. So I am always switching what I'm doing. I'm never doing the same task for more than 60 seconds, (laughs) I feel like. Uh, And that is so fun. It makes the time melt away when I'm playing Spiritfarer. I love the endless customization of the rooms and how you can rearrange them in Tetris style uh, on your boat. Finding the way to optimize those was fun because I was often thinking, what 
routes do I usually take on my boat to get to certain things, and how can I make that better? And then I'll unlock another building, and it's time to do that reevaluation of where should this building go? Should it be closer to the bottom where I always am, or should I put it up higher where I don't really go as often? So rearranging the layout is very smooth and just feels good. I never ran out of space on my ship, too, because the flow of upgrades is just right, I feel. Mm-hmm. The game seems to know what I need, too, especially in the first five or ten hours. Like, I needed quartz early on for an upgrade, and I had gotten one quartz ore or something. And so I was thinking, how am I going to get enough quartz? And then it gave me a quartz dragon event. And I'm like, oh, this is how we do this. And so I felt relieved that the game knew that I would need that. Uh, The game is so pleasing to look at. It's easy to look at. I was immediately taking screenshots of Karen in the first (laughs) cutscene, you know, where he's handing off the mantle of Spiritfarer to Stella. So I was just immediately uh, in love with the art style and um, the coziness of how everything looks. This is one of my favorite soundtracks from any game we've played. Uh, All the any any game. Oh, wow! For underplayed, yeah. You know, I. It's up there for sure. Um, even little jingles, like when you go to sleep, like that. Like I love listening to that every time. Uh, I love little UI presentations, like the design of the captain's log. All the information is displayed really nicely. Uh, some great idle animations in this game. Stella playing with Daffodil and oh, the Everlight yeah. when you're just standing Love still it. on the boat. Like this game knows that you might be standing in place for long periods of time trying to figure out what to do. And it's going to give you that little flourish of that idle animation. Love that. Uh, the game is full of quality of life things um, that don't punish you where other games might. And this is where I think some of the stakes are lower in this management sim. For instance, one of my first fears with getting a kitchen was if I let the timer go on cooking a meal, is it going to burn my food? How soon do I need to go to the kitchen to pick up my meals? You can leave your food in the oven. It's not going to burn your food. There's nothing like that. It will eventually. What? Yes. Okay. Well, I let certain meals go for a long time. It and I takes kn- a long time. Okay. But your so your food can burn. Well, it is very forgiving then. Yes. Which I like. It's not like a minute passes and it's not like the screen starts flashing because your food is about to be burned. Um, so I didn't feel stressed by some of those things where other games might be less forgiving. Um, lots of moments of sadness and you know, pretty heavy emotions. I never got to the point where I cried in this game. Personally, I had also heard that people cried in this game. I was waiting for it to happen. And maybe that was a dangerous thing to read about because maybe it set my expectations a little too high. But I did recognize moments where certain characters had certain uh, reveals. And I thought that it was really sad, tragic, uh, unfortunate. I felt sympathy for a lot of the characters. Um, there's some characters I didn't sympathize with because they treated other characters poorly as well. <laughs> Gee, um, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> there were some expectations I had that were defied, uh, especially with how long certain passengers stay on your boat. They do not leave in order of appearance. It's very important to note. Like, Just because you get passengers one, two, and three in that order doesn't mean they'll leave one, two, three. And... I was expecting them to do that. And some characters' time with you is very brief, and some of them uh, are with you for quite a long time, but they still might leave you abruptly. 
I was reminded how some of our most precious relationships in life can be gone in an instant. Uh, and then just with how long I played this game, because that time melts away when I'm playing it, there's always that one more thing I want to do before going to bed. And because of that, my play sessions weren't, you know, I played this game for, I think between 40 and 45 hours to get the platinum. Um, those definitely weren't like 40 one hour play sessions. Those were like, um, a smaller amount of like four or five hour play sessions that added up to the 40 or 45 hours. So, um, I just could not put this game down when I was playing it now for dislikes. And I do have quite a few dislikes for this game. Um, that's not an indication that I dislike the game tremendously overall. I think it's just because the game is so long. There's so much to comment on Mm -hmm. in this game. There's so many systems, so many moments, so many places to go. Uh, so many upgrades to Yeah, I had do. a lot of complaints. I still gave a nine. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So here are mine. Uh, some of the quality of life opportunities I think this game could have. Uh, I wish the option to hug was grayed out when the passengers don't need it. There were so many times where I go up to a passenger, I want to hug them to maintain that good relationship with them. And the option to hug is there. But then they say, oh, I don't need it yet. It refreshes every 24 hours, but I can't remember when the last time was. I wish it was like the food icon where it changes, telling me, like, make the heart make the heart full when they've been hugged and then mm. make the heart, like, broken or depleted or not filled in when they need a hug. You know, something like that so yeah. that I didn't waste that time. That wastes more time than mining, I think. Um, <laughs> I want to pick my destination from anywhere in this game. I don't like going back into the cabin to navigate. That became a chore for me especially when I changed my mind about where to go and I've gone to the other end of my boat. Oh, I'd have to go back to my cabin. The dialogue also was a little bit hard for me to get invested in because it's often dozens of these really short lines of texts. It is a long conversation a lot of the times, but when it's broken up into 40 or 50 pieces of dialogue, it is hard for me to follow. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. It just is. Uh, I wish it was maybe more like how Hades displays, you know, a good paragraph or a good long sentence on screen at once. And I don't think it all has to do with not hearing the dialogue. It's just I want to be able to read it all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wish that was longer. I think part of my um, maybe not being as emotional at some moments had to do with that. It felt like I was pressing a button a bunch to see the next seven words and then press a button again. It just felt repetitive. And I think if I'm not mistaken, like sometimes when you're in those conversations or doing certain actions, like the discovery of a new island sort of graphic that comes up can interrupt some of that. And that that might be the case with dialogue too. I don't remember at this point. Yeah. I don't remember that happening to me, but it, that interrupted other actions I was Mm -hmm. doing like non-dialogue actions, like cooking meals or processing raw materials, those kinds of things. The progression path at some points can be a little too narrow. Um, Despite having three or four passengers on your boat, you need to do one thing with one of those three or four passengers to be able to progress the story. Otherwise, you're at a halt. And I wish it was a little bit more open as far as my options for how to progress. Instead, it's very narrow. Uh, You're bottlenecked. 
And then once you do that thing, you're back open again. You can do a dozen different things to progress, but then eventually it narrows down again. Mm -hmm. Um, So that happens uh, maybe two or three times in the game, I feel. I felt like there was a drought of getting new stuff, new buildings, food, and systems Um, for a while. I think it was because of one of those bottleneck points. But then there's this moment that happens. This was like maybe a third of the way through the game. I was experiencing what kind of what you were talking about with three-fifths of the way through the game. Mm -hmm. That was happening for me earlier on. Uh, But then I got... It was like wheat and sugarcane and fruit trees. And then the game really spread out again for me. Uh, very minor quibble, but it just kind of threw me off every now and then. But this game has expletive language and adult <laughs> themes. And that can sometimes feel a little mismatched with the visual tone, I think. Like you look at this game, it looks really cozy. And then when that stuff happens, it's a little jarring. Uh, and then I think this game is maybe like 15% too long, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a ton too long, but I think maybe with those DLC updates, those elongate the game enough that it feels a little bit too long, but overall spirit fair is a game. I love, I played it for very long play sessions. It balances a lot of emotions very well. It's full of influences from games. I love, Uh, It's a game to get lost in if you're a fan of Stardew Valley and Animal Crossing, uh, which are games I love myself. It's a prime example of a cozy indie game, and I think it's one of the best games from 2020. I also score this game a 9 out of 10. Heckers! Yes! I... I was expecting like a 7.58 before we started our recording from you. Really? Yeah. I thought that you would like a lot of it, but I I didn't think you would love it. Yeah. I think I was not surprised with my enjoyment. I just expected, like you, I expected to be impacted by those story and emotional moments a little bit more. But 9 out of 10 is a very positive score for both of us on Spiritfarer. Um, I guess this is where we would kind of go back and forth on maybe what some of our favorite spirits were, what some of our favorite moments were or saddest moments were um, without spoiling too much, right? Because we want to talk a little bit more about this stuff, but we don't want to spoil the special like story reveals uh, that happen. And there are lots of things that you could spoil. So it would be difficult to spoil everything, even if we did. But for me... Some of my most impactful uh, spirits emotionally were ones that left in an unexpected fashion. I'll Mm -hmm. say that, right? And there are a handful of those that come to mind. One of my favorite spirits was a tool. A tool is a frog who stayed on my boat for the longest time out of any of the spirits. And not saying how he leaves or when he leaves or anything like that. When a tool left, I was a little heartbroken. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that that was definitely a standout moment for me as well. Um, just because you can't, you can you can tell that you're getting to the point where you might take him to the Everdoor, but um, there's just there's just no way to see it coming. I think, uh, and so yeah, I was really upset because he was. I think he was my favorite spirit for that first like third of the game. And yeah. he was on my boat for the second longest. Uh, Gustav hung out with me for a very long oh, time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't think – I think I had Gustav on my boat on average about the same as the other spirits. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, on the other side of that, I would say 
spirits that show up in unexpected ways. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. the only one that uh, qualifies. No, there's two. Uh, Stanley, you get Stanley on your boat in a very interesting way, whereas most spirits you just sort of like yes. find them on an island somewhere. Um, and there is something you have to satisfy before getting Stanley. You have to do a certain amount of things before yeah. he shows up. Yeah. So you you can do the action to get him plenty early on, but you have to actually do something that's not immediately clear yeah. first. Yeah. So I think if you don't, if you don't have to look it up, don't because it'll. Be, I bet that would be a super nice surprise for you. Yeah. Uh, if you just sure. suddenly had Stanley. For sure. Um, Daria is another one of those, but I didn't feel as connected to Daria as I do Stanley. Yeah. I agree about what you said about Jackie, about like unexpectedly having a turn with yeah. Jackie. Um, I think Jackie is just kind of visually a little scary and yeah. <laughs> a little off-putting, um, but builds on you. Um, I would say the same similarly about Elena. Elena is very hard to please and actually gave me fears about my ability to get the platinum um, in a couple ways <laughs> because you can't hug Elena to increase her mood. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very picky about what she eats. You can't upgrade her house to improve her mood either, which are things you do to get these people to be ecstatic. Ecstatic is actually a level of happiness in this game. Mm-hmm. And you have to, with any of the easier characters even, you have to hug them a lot. You have to talk to them a lot. You have to feed them food a lot uh, to get them there. So when you have a passenger who won't increase in happiness in a lot of the usual ways, it is a little daunting to get them up to ecstatic, especially when that's tied to a trophy. Um, So I had a tough time with Elena, but Elena kind of has this... um, tough love feeling about her. You know, right. she's she makes you feel really disciplined in what you do to learn about her attitude and um, her work ethic and things like that. So earning her love was a little bit more rewarding in that way for me. Uh, another one that kind of let me down, someone that I liked for a lot of the time she was on my ship, but kind of just sort of let me down at the end a little bit was Astrid. I really liked her. I really liked her story. Um, and, and some of the conflict that, that she brings to the boat. Um, but just when I was bringing her to the, the Everdor, I didn't, I didn't feel like the payoff was what I had hoped for Mm. at the end. Interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because you do something with her in relation to another passenger as well. She gets another passenger involved in her story. So you're kind of wanting a little bit more after all you've been through Mm -hmm. with her. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the most impactful ones that I took to the Everdor was probably Gwen just because it was the first one. And I didn't know what taking a spirit to the Everdor looks like. Yeah. So that one, just the memory, the, the being the first was really impactful for me. Yeah. It, unfortunately that's where that, um, graphical glitching, like really took me out of the moment was for that first one. I was Mm. like, I was feeling it. And then, you know, the graphical glitching started and then I was taken aback um and so i didn't get to uh fully experience that unfortunately uh another spirit that had a surprising moment not in um how they left necessarily or when they arrived it was just what happened to them i won't say what it is but what happened with alice uh is something that had to do with um a fear i have about you know what might happen to me or loved ones and it happened to Alice. And so that one was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. That one was 
both heartbreaking and one of my biggest surprises in Spirit Fair. So um, if you play that one, just don't look any up anything about Alice. Uh, so this game came out in 2020. It was probably a salve to a lot of people who were wanting uh, something to occupy their time in the way that Animal Crossing New Horizons was for us, you mm-hmm. know? And I played Animal Crossing many hundreds of hours in, in 2020. Didn't really know a lot about Spiritfarer a few years ago in 2020. But I feel like this game fills an empty spot that has kind of been left behind by Animal Crossing. Not completely, and it's not even a game that I could see myself returning to uh, anytime soon, if not ever. I could see myself going back to Animal Crossing and getting addicted again, but it is that finding essentially residents for your island uh, in Animal Crossing in the form of passengers for your boat. It is finding resources and crafting things and feeling that accomplishment of building um, that I love about Animal Crossing because that progress you know, doesn't need to happen in a specific order or at a specific time. It's kind of at your own pace. So it feels relaxed. The stakes are lower. Was there a game that this reminded you of uh, in the vein of Animal Crossing or maybe a different kind of game? Well, to be honest, I don't play a lot of games like that. Animal Crossing was kind of the first one that I really sunk my teeth into as Mm. far as something like that's concerned. And it it did remind me of Animal Crossing. So um, I don't want necessarily to explore a lot of games that are resource management kind of games but if the only ones that i ever play are animal crossing new horizons and spirit fair i'm a fan of the genre for now okay so so another game i know you know about is uh stardew valley yes this game is a lot like stardew valley um in that you have about the same number of villagers in that game as you have passengers in Spiritfarer, and you're trying to figure out what makes them tick. They all have different personalities. They have favorite items that you gift them, uh, just like the favorite recipes in this game, and you kind of pick your favorites. You end up picking your favorites, whether you want to or not, just because they have distinct personalities. Um, You're also finding resources to build new buildings for your farm so that you can make new things, you know, and the loop goes on and on. So Mm -hmm. there's that as well. So uh, it just looks different because it's 2D. You're building like this vertically expanding ship, uh, whereas Stardew Valley is kind of like a, you know, more of a different perspective, top top down. down. So getting the platinum is something we both did. It took dozens of hours. I wanted to know what was that experience like for you? Did you keep close tabs on people getting too ecstatic? Uh, how did you play this game differently with trophies in mind? Uh, so I I knew that it was a long game, so I didn't want to have to do another playthrough if I didn't want to. So I did look up all the trophies ahead of time, um, regardless of spoilers. There are some missable ones. There are some missable ones, and I made sure that I did not miss those. <laughs> um I I think knowing about the ecstatic trophy added some stress to my playthrough that I didn't necess- that it was an amount of stress that wasn't warranted because all of the like guides said that it was just this like super difficult thing namely because of Elena um but once I finally got Elena on my ship it didn't end up being quite as bad 
mm. as it was made out to be in my mind. So, um, unfortunately, I could have played it with a lot less stress than I had. But, you know, I learn a lot about characters when I hug them and give them their favorite foods. And I really enjoy filling out each character's likes and dislikes, you know, figuring every little thing out. Um, so that was a lot of fun, just exploring different food items to give them. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, I don't, everything else is something that I would have tried to do anyway. Finding out all the different recipes, uh, was probably the most annoying trophy for me, to be honest. So you didn't look that up? Oh, no, I, I did eventually, but I, I did spend a lot of time trying not to, uh, but eventually I just, I ran out of patience on that one because it's not. Um, it's not as intuitive as I would have liked. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of different recipes and I don't know a ton of different dishes. So it's not immediately (laughs) like obvious to me. Right. Selecting what dish you want to make and then like, uh, you know, pulling up the list online of like all the dishes and pulling up the list of dishes recipes you have it doesn't tell you which ones you've made if you've discovered a recipe in the world somewhere but not made it Mm -hmm. so that was a little stressful it's like am i going to forget to make a recipe and then i'm not going to know which of the hundred plus recipes i've made if i get to the end of the list uh so i better make the ones that i'm only kind of sure that i made before yeah (laughs) so i saved all the recipe making or the bulk of it for the end of the game when yeah. I had all the food items, all the ingredients to basically make everything from my inventory, save for catching a fish or two Same. here or there. Yeah. And I just did it all in like an hour. I just like pulled up in this list and just kept yeah. going through and waiting for it yeah. to cook. I don't think you necessarily get a trophy for fishing, getting all the different fish, but I saved that for the end too. Yeah. Um, I guess, do you get one from the the walrus the one in the upper left-hand corner of the map who gives you the collection yeah. stuff. Do you yeah. get a trophy for her? From you don't her? get a trophy from her, but if you're a completionist, you need you to, to catch the all stuff. the fish. So yeah, yeah, I think getting all the different fish was the very last thing I did, gotcha. which feeds into, of course, cooking because you cook right. with the fish. So. And like Animal Crossing, some fish can only be caught in the rain yeah. too. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of a fun uh, little thing. Um, yeah, Elena was more stressful for me than I think she was for you because- I didn't have people like Atul or Gustav on my boat to play music. See, I read and I I lost Atul before I could get Elena, but I that I think is the main reason I kept Gustav, Gustav around yeah. for so long. I got rid of Gustav like right before I got Elena, unfortunately, and Atul had left before then too. So Elena, you know, can't hug her. I'm feeding her the salad, the green salad she likes every other day and then mixing that up with something healthy like fruit. Uh, and I'm just seeing that her bar is not going up. And I've, I did this for like five hours, not straight, but just, I had her on my boat for probably five or six hours of my playtime and it just didn't go up. And then, um, eventually I had to get Jackie up, but I hadn't unlocked Jackie yet. So I had to do the whole Jackie Daria quest line. And that whole time I'm thinking, is this going to be enough to get Elena up? So Mm -hmm. I had serious doubts about Elena and I thought this might be my platinum killer, but getting Jackie up to ecstatic and then Jackie boosting Elena's mood is what did it for me. If Jackie wasn't on my boat, wouldn't have happened. Wow. Would not have happened. So I had a super stressful, tough time with Elena. Um, 
on this topic of all these intricate things that we're doing to get what we want <laughs> uh, <laughs> achievement-wise, what advice would you just give to new players since this is such a long game uh, with lots of upgrades, lots of places to go, lots of people to meet? Um, what would you like to have told yourself maybe when you started? Yeah, um, I mentioned a couple times that I ran out of food and I also mentioned that there's not enough time in a day at the beginning of the game. But I think the best advice I could have gotten to make my playthrough more efficient is that uh, have more than one garden, have more than one field, have more than one kitchen. Yes, especially when you need to cook all those recipes at yeah. the end. Yeah, uh, Have more than one of all of those things. And you'll be in much better shape um, playing through the game. You won't run out of food for your passengers. Right. Um, it's it's going to be stressful at the beginning because you don't have enough time in one day to not only get all your resources to cook that food and build all those different things, um, but you just don't have enough time to actually perform the tasks of watering your plants and yeah. cooking the food itself. So uh, build up to that as soon as you can. That's That's my advice. Yeah. Um, and no, you're not crazy. If you build something and then you go to build a second one, it's probably going to be more expensive in resources. Some of the time, uh, I did a double take, you know, a couple of times going, wait, I don't remember this costing this much. And I think it's because they increased the price so yeah. that you don't just build a hundred fields because <laughs> it's that easy. Um, I would say a couple things to new players. I would say it's okay to bring spirits to the Everdoor. This was something I was hesitant about just because I didn't know what the effects or the ramifications were. Once you get them to a good enough mood, they'll give you certain perks like doing certain jobs around oh, your boat. Yeah. I miss um, Astrid. I missed Astrid yeah. for the rest of the game. Her and so, perk was great. Some of them are more useful than others for sure. But I would say you need to bring spirits to the Everdor to progress the story eventually. You can't have all 12 or whatever spirits on it's your li- ship. Yeah, it's literally impossible. It's impossible. But the you don't know that. You don't know that. So uh, it's okay to bring spirits to the Everdor. Bring Gwen to the Everdor. It's okay. Um you know, you might want to hold on to them because you cherish their presence. I get that. But if you're wondering about progression, it's actually necessary. I would say other than tchotchkes, don't sell anything unless you truly have a lot. Uh, there are lots of ways to get currency. And later on in the game, you can get lots of fruit from your fruit trees and sell those. That's how I funded a lot of things. A lot of the mini games give you uh, glims as well. But early on, when you have very little resources, don't sell those ores. Don't yeah. sell the raw materials. You're going to need them. And then- I don't think ever sell ores. Just don't sell those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think I did. And then I would also say, don't process every single raw material you get because sometimes recipes call for the most basic level yeah. of a resource. And this includes late game stuff. Like I you know. Th- you think, oh, uh, late game, I don't need this stuff anymore. Not true. Yeah. You need cosmic thread at the end of the game, baby. You do. So all the fabrics you can make, they start as fibers, and then you use – what's the name of the building? Uh, The the loom. The loom. You use the loom to thread the fibers into threads, and then you use the loom to turn threads into fabrics. And so there's this multiplication thing that happens where you're getting like – you know, you get – so many threads for one fiber, then you get so many fabrics for one thread. And it's tempting to just 
I'm going to, while I'm sailing to this place, I'm going to just process all of my fibers into the end fabric level. Mm -hmm. Some recipes call for just the fibers. Yep. So don't, uh, <laughs> you know, you can make some, but hold on to some of those fibers because you don't want to have to do a whole errand going across the map to try to find something you need. So, uh, yeah. And also use the, use the turtles. Uh, let me tell you. Use the turtles. After I found whatever new ore or whatever, <laughs> yeah, straight to the turtle. Yeah, don't even care. You don't know how much more never, you'll get that. Never yeah. go back to the island. Just um, use the turtles. <laughs> oh, another thing I just thought of uh, you saying that reminded me uh, diamonds are actually pretty important. Um, you can get a lot of diamonds really late in the game. But if you sell diamonds, you're giving yourself kind of a roadblock that you don't need. For an upgrade path um, with some of the stuff with your ship, I think. So just don't sell diamonds, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Uh, any of those gems, rocks, I just kept, even if I didn't know if I was going to use them. Yeah. Um, I I actually want to talk about what I sold because I felt very proud for figuring this out. Oh. Really just hot tea. Because like there's only one or two ingredients that call for tea anyway. And like when you sell the tea to... Francis? Francis, I think, yeah. Uh, it's like 400 glim per just one cup oh, of tea. Oh, that's a lot. Wow. And it only takes like three seconds to cook. Okay. Even at the maximum okay. amount. Gotcha. Tea. Sell tea, baby. Yeah. Also check out Francis's daily quests or whatever they are. His, uh, his errands. His errands. Yeah. Um, that's a great way to get glims early on. And those will require some of those raw materials and fish and other things. Um, but it's a great way to get rid of excess materials in exchange for currency that you yeah, need to progress. Yeah, and it's like reasonable currency too. It is. That's, that's like you'll get I like got... four grand for yeah. turning in just like a handful of things, yeah. which is a lot. That's that's how I ended up just like drowning in glim eventually. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I thought like the amount of money you get in the game is just right. Yeah. Like it's, I was it's never scarce hurting. at first. It's but... scarce. Um, and I, I maybe had to sell some things to get to the next amount to purchase a big upgrade, but I was never hurting majorly for glims. Yeah. I think one time I was just like, I really want some pork for a tool, but I can't afford it. So I need to sell, you know, yeah. whatever I had, but right. Um, but yeah, I, that's all I had for this game. I love it a lot. Again, I don't know if I'll revisit this game, but I will cherish the time I had with it for as long as I can remember. I think. Yeah. I, same. I listened to that music a ton. Still, um, if I go back to it, it's because I really, I really want to max out all the items. I don't feel the strong compulsion in this game to do that, but it's so satisfying to perform most of those chores anyway that I don't feel bad about doing it. Right. I just I want to know how many apple pies can I have? Can I have nine hundred ninety nine <laughs> or can I have nine thousand? Yes. Well, that's our review of Spiritfarer, Farewell Edition. You can play it on so many platforms, PC, Mac, Nintendo Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. Also, very soon uh, through iOS and Android through Netflix Games. What? Which is a thing. Um, so that's the first we've ever had to note that. 
<laughs> Disco Cola rated Spirit Fair Farewell Edition a nine. I also rated it a nine. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed and through common podcast services like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg and our art comes from Onimochi. Underplayed is on Twitter at underplayedpod. You can find me on Twitter at bopo. That's B-O underscore P-O. And you can check out that same handle on the GG app where you can see my game lists, uh, such as my top 100 games of all time list, and also what I'm currently playing there too. And I am at Disco Cola on Twitter and on Twitch, taking a break still from Twitch, uh, but you can catch me there. Next time, we will have two more secret games to review, and our featured game will be To the Moon, a story-rich experience developed by Freebird Games. Until then, everyone, keep on playing. (laughs) 